retirement? Want to make a dragon want to retire, man? That makes no sense. Dragons what? don't retire. What are you talking? Is that the actual lyric? Yeah. Also, why do you know the exact or... lyric? <laughs> well, because I've heard the song about uh, conservatively eight hundred bazillion times. So, okay. Have you ever but been to I mean, a wedding? It's on repeat at every wedding. Going have on I ever America been to a right wedding? Now. Are you, Greg? There's ten million wedding songs that are staples of weddings, and that's your go-to. Yes, because I've been to a, a wedding this year. How about that? Well, yeah, we've all been to weddings this year, Greg. I mean, now's okay, the which, time. Which one's 2018 is the year uh-huh. of weddings. You didn't know? I didn't know it was the year of weddings. But I was going to put you on the spot. You name a wedding that you went to and how it was. Give your rating. I went Go to, now. I went to Tom and Carly's wedding, our cousins. Remember? Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, where were you? Where were you? <laughs> oh, oh, I was, I was in a foreign country uh, helping helping people and having the adventure of a lifetime. So mm. oh, I'm wow. sure yeah. Tom and Carly there. understood. Adventure of a lifetime. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Methinks he doth protest too much, <laughs> good sir. <laughs> I love I love Oscar Wilde. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so me and Simon crossed an, an important threshold today. Who's Simon, John? Simon's my fiance. Okay, and go ahead. we 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 did something that I've never done. We went to the theaters and we saw separate movies. We saw different movies. Whoa, 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 whoa. That, yeah. You bar- you buried the lead here. <laughs> you said I want to talk about my theater going experience, but you did not say. Independently, just to reiterate, this is your fiance, mm-hmm. and you decided to see different movies, presumably playing at the exact same time, right? Yeah, pretty much. They were about ten okay. minutes apart, but they both got out at the same time. Okay. Now, why? Obviously, it's because you couldn't agree on a movie to see. Mm-hmm. And why did you decide to watch two different movies independently of one another? Why, why was it? Because this? we couldn't agree. And so he wanted to see one movie. I saw the other movie. And, you know, okay. we just came out and we discussed. So, All right. Were yeah. you with anybody else? No. Okay. Now, that it, I understand if you were part of a bigger group, you could splinter off maybe. Mm-hmm. But seeing them individually, I think, I think is a little strange. Okay. I've, look, look, I, I, I will admit, yeah. it is the first time we've ever done this. But honestly, you know, I, I got to enjoy my movie. He got to enjoy his movie. You know, it's, it's fine. There's no judgments here. I don't know why you're, why you're putting judgments on it. Okay, okay. I, I think I just you want try to it. I just, think, I, th- I just think it would be odd, especially if you saw, for instance, a, a children's movie, a movie designed <laughs> for children. I mean, my mine was rated PG. His was rated PG thirteen. So uh, okay, so Simon was the grown up in this situation. I mean, I Greg, bet, I bet if I if I play the scenario in my head, you are throwing a tenter tantrum in the wall before. <laughs> Excuse me, Ex- Greg. This implies that they make movies for adults anymore. Come on, come on. <laughs> That's a fair point. Fair point. <laughs> well, I'll tell you about it. Uh, later, John. I'll tell you about a movie that is for adults. Oh, okay. okay. Ooh, yeah. See, it's we're about... teasing people. This is this is yes. called a tease about our future mm-hmm. spotlight yeah. session. But that's not what we we don't talk about that yet, Greg. We don't talk about that. No, but we are going to talk about another recent release because it it, it basically led to the movie we chose to watch this week. Exactly. This week marks the release of Mary Poppins Returns. So John, we... that was brilliant. John, that was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we sat down and watched Mary Poppins. <laughs> what? You look like Mary Poppins. Is he cool? Hell yeah, he's cool. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. And we're going to do the entire episode in Cockney accents. Oi, it's going to be a right good time, governor. Oh, dear. I fear, I fear we're in Barney Rubble, mate. <laughs> tuppins. Tuppins for days. 
Can I, I don't, can I, I start by saying uh, apparently the Cockney accent is dying in Good Riddance because what? They, yes, I I I'm not charmed by the Cockney How slang. How dare you? This Particularly like... the Cockney rhyme scheme, and I'm offended that they even call it a scheme because there is no rhyme or reason to this <laughs> to the so-called lexicon. So this is like a dying language, like one of those like Amazonian languages you hear about in Southern. Like they're saying the Cockney accent is dying. Yeah, well, yes. That's absurd. Because uh, because they're possible? being gentrified out. Um, well, well, again, gentrification. So it's, it was based on a very insular East London community, and oh. through gentrification and you know transportation and just you know progress being such as it is. I don't um, associate. That's funny. I, don't, I guess that's why I'm confused. I don't associate Cockney with London. I associate it with like Northern. Although they kind of got the Oopmidooks kind of voice. Somebody. Yeah, that's a different. Yeah, that's a different yeah. accent. Similar, but yeah, up to North. That's. I'm, I'm sure that's that's not going away. Because um, mm-hmm. again, a little bit more insulated, not uh, not a, a threat to modernity the way, or at least not under the threat of modernity the way that East London is. So, oh, okay. If it hasn't well, already I, been when subsumed I think by East London, I think of like a, a thick bruise, like uh, like uh, who's the guy? Ah, oh, fuck. Why am I blanking on his name? Black Idris guy. Elba. <laughs> yes, Idris Elba, <laughs> guy who should be James Bond. That guy. Of course he went. To, yes, of course. The he went sexiest man to, alive. How could race. I forget? Exactly, and of course he went straight to his race. Racist. <laughs> I. Excuse me. All right. If I yeah. said British actor with an East London accent, I don't think that would have been enough. <laughs> no, you're right. I could have picked out Ray Winstone, Michael mm-hmm. Caine, obviously. <laughs> but anyway, they, unfortunately, while the Cockney accent may be going the way of the dinosaur, thankfully we'll always have the memory of Dick Van Dyke to preserve it. Mm-hmm. And how? And <laughs> I think I think the the Dick Van Dyke performance in this movie basically surmises my whole opinion of this movie which is okay not- so we should probably first explain that yes dick van dyke is an american actor doing a terrible cockney accent and unfortunately that other than like boomers fawning over julie andrews that's the legacy <laughs> of, this, of the movie to millennials right now is a, a terrible cockney accent done by dick van dyke and basically uh that you know his performance basically surmises the whole movie which is terrible but earnest and trying really really hard <laughs> Terrible, John. That's those. Are, that's strong language. There. Okay, fine, fine. All right, this movie's not terrible, but it's it's pretty thin gruel. Let's be honest. <laughs> I did not. I did not enjoy myself. I mean, I was charmed at times, mm-hmm. but this is not a very good movie. Let's be honest. Oh, well, not by today's standards, I don't think. Again, mm-hmm. let's cast our minds back to 1964. I guess this is technically a big roadshow musical. So what it's really living and dying on is a spectacle, and I think it does an A-plus job of that. Um, but you're speaking to, like, you're putting on your screenwriter hat and be like, well, <laughs> this story has to move from A to B, and there has to be a, a but or a therefore at the end of every scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So from that from that standpoint, it's not. It's it's not telling the world's most complicated or, or threatening story in the world. I mean, what's at stake is basically a man's job at the bank. That's, that's about it. <laughs> and the kids have no supervision. That's the biggest stakes no. in the story. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so not exactly a life or death scenario we're talking about here, but I I was more um, taken in by its charms. In fact, I was happy to jump into a chalk drawing, as it were. <laughs> um, although you're right, the, the there was a cynical part of me that where the the meter's beeping off. No, this is not telling. A, this is not a story worth telling unless you do <laughs> do it in the half live action, half animated way in which uh, the Walt Disney Company did mm-hmm. back in the back in the early '60s, but. I I now finally understand whenever they trot out Julie Andrews at the Oscars and everybody fawns out like wow good <laughs> like I finally understand it because I was taken in by the the characters of Bert played by Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins herself so I really 
wasn't. I, okay. Because I feel like this movie is just kind of constantly at war with itself. Like, the whole idea is the fact that she's supposed to be sweet and kind of charming, but she's also very strict. Like, she's, her whole scheme is that she's supposed to be, like, your mean teacher that you kind of admired at the end of the year. But well, no, not. she says that. She says that too. I, I don't think so. I think she's saying that to placate the father. However, she's more yeah, the but other she's side also, of her. She's like she's a superhero. Yeah, she's got basically. all. She's got these alter egos that she plays with different members of the family. Yeah, but she's also very kind of stern. Like you know, she's like Bert is really the one that kind of gets him in all these whimsical adventures and fun. And she's the one who's like kind of rolling her eyes. And it's like, all right, if you insist. And she's also the one who, you know, lines him up and it says like, tip top, let's go. Like she's always trying to make him stand up straight and stuff like that. So, I mean, the original character by PL Travers obviously was meant to be strict and very orderly. And that's the whole theme of the story is the fact that these kids need supervision. They run wild and that's why they can't find a good nanny. Hmm. And so, I, uh, I, uh, honestly, I didn't know that. You're speaking to a documentary called Saving Miss, Mr. Banks. Um, <laughs> it's a historic film telling a very historic <laughs> story. Yeah. The most well-done reenactments in documentary history, <laughs> including <laughs> Tom Hanks and Emma, Tom, Emma Thompson. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, yes. And I think that's the other thing. I, I have seen Saving Mr. Banks, and it's also probably coloring my opinion of this movie quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's because, like, that movie makes, like, oh, Mary Poppins was a transformative experience in cinema. Everyone loved it, and it changed the world. And now I've actually seen it. It's like, oh, wow, okay. That's that's what that's what changed the world? Great, cool. But, you know, I'm a cynical so-and-so, so, and I'm not easily impressed. I am not easily impressed, good sir. <laughs> well, did you at least appreciate now that you kind of filled in, like, these gaps in your memory? Because you and I had never sat down and watched this movie from beginning to end until now. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I only know of the half cartoon half uh half live action world mm-hmm. and the dancing penguins and the and the dancing chimney sweeps that's all i could fill out in my head but mm-hmm. you're right between then there's no real theme i think going on other than the kids need structure and the dad needs to you know find his inner child again exactly <laughs> not exactly yeah not exactly the most complicated uh, or greatest story ever told but i you know, I, I think between them, it does acquit itself with some charms. I mean, maybe maybe we should explain some of the plotting issues that we have, mm-hmm. because this story takes place on an insane asylum um, called Cherry Street, <laughs> Cherry Tree Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a man who thinks who lives in a house who thinks it's a boat and fires a cannon uh, at 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. every day. Um, mm-hmm. The authorities are not called in at any point. I guess the orderlies <laughs> just you know let let that let that slide. Yep. Um, there's another man playing a one-man band. Um, he should be arrested immediately. Um, instead, <laughs> again, the orderlies let him have his fun. This is Bert, played by Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, it's not until the the children are allowed to basically run rampant, and the and the the current nanny is head, is fed up. Like she can't. She says, "I can't deal with it anymore." Exactly. Um, and I think we, maybe your first problem with the story is that yes, the the children are recovered. They haven't been kidnapped. They're not gone. <laughs> And they're brought back into the house, and they are like little cherubs. They are like you know exactly oh, they, like that's they're the kind of doe-eyed. Thing. Yeah, I think their eyes have literally been recolored. They are so they're such a bright shade of blue. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're a recolored in post. But I, so immediately your sympathies lie with the children. But there's nothing to the story in which you you felt like oh they're being doted on too much or their household is too strict. So you want to see Mary Poppins come in. It is a game, isn't it, Mary Poppins? Well, it depends on your point of view. You see, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun, 
And snap! The job's a game. And every task you undertake becomes a piece of cake, a lark, a spree. It's very clear to see that a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down, medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way. The whole point is the, uh, the whole impetus, the whole uh, thing that gets the story going is the fact that the nanny quits. She's like, I've had enough. The kids have run out for the last time and I just can't put up with it anymore. And then they come back and they're like, we're sorry. And it's like, no, you're not. Like, the, <laughs> And the whole point, you know, it's like the kids need more structure, but then you have Mr. Banks you know, he's a banker named Mr. Banks, so... Yeah, clever touch. You might imagine. Yeah, you might You know, he runs a very strict household, actually. You know, he comes in at 6 o'clock and packs his pipe and, you know, sings about... That's the other thing. I hate the songs. They're not even really you songs. You didn't like the songs. Okay. No. They literally just, you know, halfway through dialogue, I'm going to start doing a singy-songy thing, and it'll last 30 seconds. Oh, John, boom, John boom. you're right, John. That's way different than every other musical I've seen. You, yes, because... <laughs> Please. Songs that's every musical. To... No, that's every that musical. is not every they, musical. They inorganically break they down They have the song. a plot purpose, and they last longer than 30 seconds. <laughs> it's not just notes for its notes' sake, which is what it is in this movie. No, I'll take it in this. They're they're in and out with the with the songs. I think that's great. Okay. Well, yeah. no. Here's okay. Here's my problem, and I realize what this is why we differ so much is because you okay. like singing in the rain, and I hate singing. In the rain. <laughs> and this has the same exact problem singing in the rain has, which is story wise, you could finish it in twenty minutes. Oh shit! But we got to fill a two hour movie. What do we do? All right, sing songy dancing that doesn't have to anything to do with anything. This will distract them long enough, and that's all it is. It's a distraction. Not distraction. So there is one number that kind of sets up the father's mood and disposition. Mm-hmm. Where, as you mentioned, he gets home. He's he's pretty contented with his life. He packs his pipe and has his sherry, and his children are well behaved, and his wife is doting, and the other servants in the house. Like, um, this is this is also a story about class, I suppose. But <laughs> <laughs> he's he's doing pretty well, and so that that little musical number I also appreciate it just because. I think if you're right, if they are going to be empty spectacle, like at least have it be compelling. And these scenes are compelling. I mean, there's no animation at this point yet, but at least the blocking and the the way the characters move about this house they have, at least that at least that drew me in a little bit. Um, I guess I was impressed with the wire work. There's a lot of wire work in this movie, and I think that's oh, one yeah. of the big selling points. Is not just the this was one of the first movies that combined real uh, live action footage and animation, but also just. I guess special effects wise, this must have been you know top of its day. Like just the matte paintings in the background are absolutely gorgeous, and then a lot of the dance numbers incorporate wire work where they're you know floating and things like that. A lot of floating. Believe it or not, <laughs> Mary Poppins can fly. I don't know if people knew this. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, Mary Poppins floats on down. She's like the shark mm-hmm. in Jaws. You don't see her until <laughs> she's properly set up in the story. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. She's in the very opening scene. She's just sitting in the clouds. Oh <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Yes. Does she need to eat? No one knows. These are the yeah. these are the questions that aren't answered. <laughs> yes, um, she floats on down after, as you said, really impressive wire work where a huge queue, queue <laughs> that's right, queue of nannies um, <laughs> is blown away and presumably impaled or on a wrought iron fence or <laughs> caught up in a tree. But anyway, yes, and she comes in and she she basically uh, looks sizes up the whole house and she's like, I shall do a trial period one week. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I'll have this everything in tip-top shape. Yeah, and so I think this is where you're also like hung up because she's putting on a certain face for the husband, or excuse me, the uh, patriarch of the family mm -hmm. to be like the really stern, like trust me, I'm the I'm the nanny, and she comes in and bowls him over immediately. <laughs> exactly. Like she says, yeah, you're gonna hire me. I'm gonna do this job here. So, like immediately we see Julie Andrews' skill as an skills as an actor, like basically dominating the scene. Um, but but you're right. Following this. Is the implication of like, oh, we're gonna make chores into play, mm -hmm. and so apparently this isn't. Is this part of the P.L. Travers stories? The basically combining the whimsy of play with the the actual tip-top shape of work. Is that is that the idea? Or I don't think so. Um, from what I understand, again, I'm not a historian, and I've never obviously read a Harry uh, Mary Poppins book. Mm. The whole conceit around uh, Mary Poppins is the fact that she is very strict and she is trying to rein in these kids who are being kind of unruly. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. when it came to the Disneyfication version, the kids became a lot sweeter, and so did Mary Poppins. So that's really all I kind of know. Obviously, the magic element is always kind of there. That's part of the whimsy and the fantasy. But um, I don't think, to characterize it as like, oh, we'll just turn cleaning up into a game, I don't think that was, like, I think that's a little too simplistic an interpretation of what the stories were really about. And that's kind of okay. the other thing I, I read about the P.L. Travers books is that they are, they are also kind of a collection of vignettes. The Mary Poppins books are just kind of like, she goes to a family, they have little misadventures, and then kind of, you know, she's whisked away at the end of the book or something <laughs> like that. So, Well, John, this is our first, even though we've had some numbers before this, I mean, this is our, this is our real chart topper here. Because they mm. bring it back four times. I'm talking about a spoonful <laughs> of sugar makes the medicine go down. Well, I mean, yeah, it's part of the overture. You know, it's the theme yeah. you're going to be hearing throughout the whole story. Yes, and I was glad I did. I mean, I was delighted by the scene. But you're right, it does, it does beg the question of like, well, well which, what is she? Is she either the stern, <laughs> either the stern nanny who will, Bring these kids who bring these kids up to speed, or like or like beat them into submission and <laughs> keep them in shape, or is she just a purveyor of whimsy and bringing some color into this pretty uh, gray home? Well, and that but that's the other confusing thing is the fact that if she were bringing whimsy into the world, why are there such weird characters like Bert and the people who think their house is a boat? Like <laughs> this world is already pretty fucking weird, and then it's like Mary Poppins is just like icing on the cake, I suppose. Yeah, if if maybe like she hid the the ma her magic from the father, or mm -hmm. because I've, that's the other thing I was surprised by in the scene. Again, not having seen the scene from beginning to end until now. Mm -hmm. um, at one point, yeah, she's using her magic um, to because she's she is a witch. Let's explain that <laughs> um, she's some sort she's of demigod in nanny form. Yeah, <laughs> yes, she's using her magic to basically clean up the kids' rooms. But at one point, it does go a little bit off the rails, and it looks like the furniture is acting out on its own. Mm -hmm. And it it brought to mind like, oh, is she like a Jedi who is doesn't have command of her powers yet? <laughs> and I thought that would have been interesting, or maybe she's granting these powers to the children who are being irresponsible. Well, no, yeah, she was granting the powers to the children because the girl was snapping, and she was also able to make everything kind of collapse back into place. Yeah, and mm -hmm. the boy was trying. I, I, didn't bother learning the kids' names. Um, he was trying, and he George finally... George and Mary. George, George and Mary. George and Mary. George was trying, and, you know, he gets it at the last second, and I think he's the one who kind of makes it go hang haywire. Oh, okay. Is it George and Mary? No, sorry. It's not. It's uh, Michael. Michael and Jane. What am I saying? Oh, good, good job. Good job. <laughs> George and Mary, the parents. Anyway. Yes. 
that's because, as you, as you mentioned, characterization isn't strong. <laughs> However, <laughs> I think the movie does rely on its charms and its whimsy, particularly when... I think our trademark sequence. It's about a twenty-minute chunk, like you like you said, "Singing in the Rain" has or this twenty-minute chunk where we uh, basically live in a fantasy that has real no uh, implication on the plot. Uh, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you put a time code on it because it feels interminable. So it's good <laughs> to know that it was only twenty minutes. <laughs> So in this case, uh, Bert is, instead of being a one-man band, he's doing street art. Um, he's vandalizing the <laughs> sidewalk with chalk. <laughs> Banksy, perhaps? Oh, that's good. Hey, Banks family, you know, maybe Bert is... Uh, anyway. uh, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're making yeah. connections here. Bert, exactly. Bert is never given... I think he's the illegitimate father of <laughs> the two children. <laughs> that's why he cares so much. Yeah. <laughs> but they jump into one of these... Uh, uh, what I was about to say, cave drawings, <laughs> chalk drawings, <laughs> and this is this is when we're off to off to fantasy land. Exactly, and, and yeah, like they... this also sets up the whole kind of tone of the story, which is Bert is kind of the one who kind of forces them into situations of whimsy, and you know, Mary, uh, Mary Poppins rolls her eyes and she's like, "Okay, I'll play along," because again, yes. she's meant to be a kind of strict disciplinarian, but she also you know wants to help the kids out. So it's I, it's weird. I just think the characterization's weird. Why do you always complicate things that are really quite simple? Give me your hand, please, Michael. Don't slouch. One, two... Mary Poppins, you look beautiful. Do you really think so? Cross my heart, you do. Like the day I met you. You look fine too, Bert. I thought you said there was a bear. So I did. Down the road behind the hill, remember? Come on, I hear the merry-go-round. Tell him Bert sent you. Don't fall and smash the drawing. I did a glorious die, right as a morning in my. I feel like I could fly. Now, Bert. None of your larking about. Have you ever seen the grass so green or a bluer sky? It's kind of the one who gets him into these little misadventures, these these little vignettes, and it's Mary Poppins who kind of shakes her head and rolls her eyes and doesn't want to be a part of it, but she's the one with all the powers. So she's the one who has to get things going, get things moving along. I And you're right, and I think you could accept the sequence also a little bit more if... A big chunk of this twenty minutes. It's just the two of them. Yeah, that's a good point too. <laughs> the kids just kind of like wander off. I believe, this. yeah. After thirty seconds, we were like, "Where are the children?" And they don't reappear because <laughs> they have a romantic dinner with some penguins. Mm-hmm. The penguins play the waiters. Get it? Because exactly. they look like they're wearing tuxes. <laughs> yes, and it's not until I think they go on a fox hunt and Bert saves the fox or something. Yeah, like that's the other weird thing. Is like if it were just talking animals, then that would kind of fit. But then we meet animated humans. Yeah. And the horses still talk, so the horses are slaves in this universe. It doesn't really matter because because it rains and then they all die. So <laughs> I'm I'm glad you brought that interpretation to it. <laughs> Some dark I, shit. I look man. forward to your yeah, I look forward to your slave piece. Every character you saw in the chalk world of, of Mary Poppins is now dead. <laughs> I mean, what I was hoping for, again, only knowing of that sequence, I thought the story would continue there, and we get mm-hmm. to characterize the fox a little bit, because he saves a fox who's the target of this hunt. 
Mm-hmm. And the and the fox can hunt and is cowardly kind of like a Looney Tune, like, yeah, why I oughta or something. <laughs> but we never see him again. I was disappointed because the sequence I think is incredibly well done. I mean you're pointing it, to it the, is well done. But again, you're it's to an the, aside. It's all an aside. The whole movie's an aside. <laughs> So you so you didn't like it for its own sake, um, which John yeah. is essentially what art is. I mean, art is only art has no practical purpose. Am I am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. Art has to be for its own sake, but in its own medium, you know, at least tie it into whatever else is going on. <laughs> well, once the sequence is done, I think we should get back to the story, such as it is. Um, <laughs> story, yeah. <laughs> because at this point, Mary Poppins suggests that they spend a day. They basically imposes a take your kids to work day well yes because uh she she sets the terms that she gets every other tuesday off why i don't know she's a witch (laughs) she can make her own time i'm sure (laughs) well it just shows the power of julie andrews at least in the scenes where she is a more active and stronger protagonist instead of the other scenes as you pointed out where bert does something wacky and she just shakes her head and goes oh bert Well, the only other big sequence that happens is the chimney sweep dance, which, uh, why, yes. why is this movie so enamored with chimney sweeps? Because <laughs> it, it was set in 1910, um, everybody mm-hmm. was high on opium, and, oh, okay. um, it was the Industrial Revolution, and so we have to clean out our, our steam pipe somehow, and so, okay. yes, that necessitated the, the, the chimney sweeps. Okay, well, no, I, I, don't, I don't see, I don't argue that chimney sweeps are obviously necessary at this time, I just don't know why they kind of turned it into a song and dance number, that's all. Again, it's all on the side. It's all just distraction. I, like, like, tie it back into the core of the story, which is apparently about Mr. Banks about halfway through. <laughs> you know, Mr. Well, Banks needs to reconnect with his inner child again. Yes, after about ten minutes of dancing on the rooftops, it finally returns to the Banks home, and that's when, um, I believe, this is following the day at work with the children. Um, the hmm. children have mucked up the day because the the greedy owner um, of the bank, played by Dick Van Dyke in a dual role. What a powerhouse. <laughs> Which, by the way, you know it's Dick Van Dyke immediately. Yeah, I mean, I exactly. guess I guess it's a convincing uh, makeup job, but I, that's because I thought at one point the because Dick Van Dyke is a really incredible dancer in this movie. Oh, absolutely! He's so vaudevillian. He's he's yeah. great. Like he does such great physical comedy. You know, if only he could get his accents down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, like, oh, it's gonna be this is gonna come as a huge surprise because. You, I mean, other you and I savvy viewers know that this character is played by Dick Van Dyke. So at one mm-hmm. point, he's going to do this crazy song and dance number. And that doesn't happen. No, no, it does not. <laughs> so I don't know what the, the point of it was, other than to show that he's a sinister character because they've given their kids, as you said, tuppence. Mm-hmm. And the owner just says, "Like, oh, let's start. Let's start an account with you. Um, I'm going to take. Well, I mean, your, it's, I'm going to take literally your two minute, your two cent, how, however much a tuppence is, ten cents." <laughs> Well, it's a teachable moment. The father wants them to deposit their tuppence so they can build a savings. And again, use their money responsibly. And the other weird thing about this movie is it ties I don't think that all. was the implication at all. I thought that was just no, that was showing totally... the corporate greed. <laughs> no, no, no. That, the whole point was the father wanted to teach them responsibility. Because again, what does the boy want to use for his tuppence? He wants to give it to the bird lady. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And he and he says, no, you know, that's fr- that's frivolous. That's a waste. Don't mm. bother. So, you know, use your money responsibly. And again, it's a, it's a mo- it's like it, I enjoyed the scene because, again, it's a catalyst for the actual story. Like this is actually telling a story that's going on. That's why this scene is important. But again, it just kind of falls to the wayside with everything else. Like the man who's laughing and he's flying up to the ceiling. Like, what was the point of that scene? Need the birds, top 
answer back Toppence, toppence, toppence Okay, let's talk about those connections where they do they do come together in the end. You mentioned mm-hmm. that yes, Michael wants to spend money his money to help out the bird lady who he mm-hmm. first learns about in a song from Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. The laughter, I, I don't know why it's I believe it's their uh, bird's uncle or something. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, uh, he's, who, he's got this weird condition where he, he laughs too much and then he starts floating up to the ceiling. Yes, and then everybody does it. And mm-hmm. so that's supposed to implicate you know, the need for laughter and joy in your life, um, which Mr. Banks is sorely lacking. Mm-hmm. But Mr. Banks isn't present for that scene. I, well, yeah, because he's got to be surprised <laughs> later. I, he did. He does hear about the joke. Okay, so okay. <laughs> technically, there is an A to B story here. The problem is that there aren't. Any, there's no immediate stakes. Mm-hmm. For one thing, um, the biggest, I guess, um, the point at which all hope is lost is when Mr. Banks actually loses his job. The kids cause a run on the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, it loses its money, not all of it, because it's still operating. Weirdly enough, um, so <laughs> it makes you wonder why, like, why they want to fire Mr. Banks for for that offense anyway. But mm-hmm. um, that's when that's when he realizes. That's when he finally comes to his, his, his the epiphany that oh, I need some inner joy in my life. Exactly, and he kind of disappears for a night, you know, worrying sick the whole family. <laughs> yes. But he comes back and decides, like, we're going to go fly a kite, and we're all going to be a family again. And mm-hmm. uh, while they're out flying his kite, you know, the bankers are there too, and they're like, ah, you know what, we'll just give you your job back. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> you learned your lesson, so, you know, we can't have too many, you know, complications, so, yeah, you got your job back. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you're right, the movie doesn't have any complications, and is that because it is a family movie? And you want to be reassured and not have to, not have to face the tough realities of, say, unemployment or destitution mm-hmm. or, I mean, because that's obviously what I believe P.L. Travers went through, mm-hmm. and that's part of like her, that was part of her inspiration for telling these stories of Mary Poppins, um, mm-hmm. was to deal with a help her siblings deal with the the difficulties of a of a, a substance abusing father. Is that right? Uh, I think that's definitely part of it. Um... Her father was a banker, and obviously he is the uh, inspiration for Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't really, again, I'm, I'm not a historian. Again, I'm only going off saving Mr. Banks, which, uh, you know, I, I assume is just completely historically accurate. <laughs> Absolutely. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> exactly. Disney have no obviously reason... invested to tell the real story. They had yeah. no ulterior motives whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, we have no reason to think they wouldn't They wouldn't act out of the, the, out of the sanctity of history. But not anyway. Uncle Walt. Uncle Walt yeah. would never do that. Absolutely not. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's like, 
it's 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 just weird that that's the direction the story went with it. It's like, oh, it's actually about Mr. Banks this whole time. And like, <laughs> did you get that? Did you get that sense from the first half of the movie? No, oh, I. It felt great. like the, the family needs exactly. It it felt like the family needs a nanny, and at least from that point, the goal was achieved. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although she does fly away, so yeah, I think it's a bit. Actually, that's than... the scene I liked the best. What what the let's go fly a kite or. Yeah, well, no, the the scene where Mary Poppins leaves because she doesn't oh, make see. a big to do about it, and that's totally that's befitting of her character. You know, okay. she's like, "Well, I did my one week trial, and everyone's happy again, so I'm just going to take off." And and her cane actually starts talking. Finally, her cane, uh, her, yes, her, her, her umbrella she... is a is a parrot head, so it actually starts talking. And I thought, yeah, that was... a very ostentatious parrot head. And I and I like you. I was like, is she going to hook onto something with that? I mean, what's <laughs> there's no reason why they made it that ornate unless it was going to be a puppet eventually. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I thought again no. it was going to be a hook or something. <laughs> yeah, but I by I, hook or by crook that 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 umbrella handle better do something. <laughs> Thankfully, it did. They save it till the very end. <laughs> exactly. But I, that's actually my favorite scene of the whole movie is when she leaves, because you know she doesn't make a big to do about it. She doesn't make a big fuss, which is totally befitting of her character. She's like, "All right, well, I've done my job, and now it's time for me to take off." And you know, she's she's got a little. You can tell because again, Julie Andrews is a great actress. She. Mm-hmm. She obviously is a little wistful about leaving, but she, you know, keeps a stiff upper lip because she's a fine British lady and doesn't try to show her emotions too much, even though she obviously is going to miss these kids. So I thought that was nice. I thought it was a nice way to end it, even though the rest of the movie is garbage. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought so, too. I still don't understand what what Bert made of it. Because he's also he's also the narrator of the film. He breaks the fourth wall. Yeah, he actually talks to the audience directly. It's kind of, yeah. So... If I if I understood him, maybe as more of a storyteller or or kind of the the conjurer of Miss <laughs> Poppins herself or something. Maybe. Like, if what did you think of their relationship? Because there is this kind of well, that's the thing. I can't make heads or tails of it. I mean, I think I think he's courting her, even though he's he's of the he's of the of the lower classes. So. <laughs> Doesn't speak as well as her uh, to say. What? <laughs> that's not Literally, quite right. Speak yeah. As well. <laughs> So I th- I think it's like a not not exactly a will there or won't they but they are on different planes like literally different class levels so of course they relate I don't think it has anything work. to do with class they never Greg. they never speak one is to that. magic and one is oh. not okay nice <laughs> it has everything to do. John we have to acknowledge class okay in our capitalist <laughs> system in our capitalistic system this this took place during the industrial revolution we have to acknowledge all it, right okay? fine fine like obviously the movie's not terribly concerned about it no obviously not but. <laughs> Again, in terms of ambiguity about what exactly the story is about and what it's trying to say, <laughs> I think what could have given it some clarity is the relationship between Mary Poppins and Bert, because they, while they are friendly, they're not romantic in any way. No, but it's obviously... It seems as though Bert is courting... Yeah, it seems as though Bert is courting Mary Poppins at times. Yeah, I did, I did not, actually... relationship never comes to fruition. I did actually like that aspect of the movie. Where like Bert obviously has a holds a torch for Mary Poppins, but she's obviously not reciprocating, because again she's a nanny and she's magic and she doesn't have time. <laughs> I don't think that there's a there's a huge <laughs> class divide. I don't think that's the reason why she's not interested in Bert. But it's 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 nice to see that a character actually appreciates her on a certain level. That you know obviously the kids admire her a lot, but you know it's it's nice to see that there's a different dynamic that she has with any other character in the movie. That's true. Obviously, the parents don't appreciate the help. No, exactly. There are two other servants who get who get no credence in the story. No, absolutely not. <laughs> They're just kind of a chorus. They just they just kind of uh, 
explain things sometimes at <laughs> <with> the audience. <laughs> They're also there to be like, oh, these kids, these rascals. Because <laughs> they, they yeah. you know, obviously when the nanny's not around, they have to be the caretakers. But mm-hmm. And I guess we should also talk about the probably the most problematic element of the story, which is, where's Mrs. Banks? <laughs> what do you mean? She's uh, at home doing her thing. No, oh, she, no, you're right. No, she's not at home, oh, is I she? Forgot. Why is she not home? <laughs> no. <laughs> because she is a suffragette. Mm-hmm. She is out there winning the right for women to vote. <laughs> exactly. Until she realizes family's more important. <laughs> that that implication I didn't get. I thought that was just like a little historical color to the story. <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously, the family comes together at the end to go fly a kite. You know, just yeah. But what is all what is the symbolic thing that fun, she does? The kite needs a tail. So what does she do? She gives up her sash. Oh, I see. Are you, were okay. you even paying attention? No, <laughs> at this point, no. I was. <laughs> it was late. I again, I'd completely forgotten about that element of the story, even though it's the opening number and <laughs> it's the only reason that she's not home. It's the stories. It. I I looked at it logically, like, okay, we need a reason for the mom to be to not be home okay she's not working clearly this is not an era in which women are in the workplace so i don't know have her have her fight for have her protest the uh, women's women's right to vote mm. so i didn't see it as like a like women should know their place that's that ended up being the the part of the story but i'm glad you pointed that out okay. in fact i hate this movie now <laughs> thank you thank Throw you in the trash i saved i saved this conversation i convinced greg the truth truth i'm spitting truth here no, I think there's a lot in this movie to like. Um, I think it, I think it'll be really good for children, particularly because the effects still hold up. I think they'll still be wonder how uh, horses in a merry-go-round can come off their moorings and then win a a, a, der- a derby, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the word is derby, but anyway. <laughs> and I think the, the from a production design, yes, it will it will glue you to the screen. I think it, I think it will really impress you. And from that standpoint alone, again, if we're going to reiterate that every movie's a miracle. <laughs> Mary Poppins is miraculous on that level. But as you said, story-wise, it just doesn't work. No, yeah. Um, it's pretty thin paper behind that behind that screen. It's pretty thin, and you're not going to see a whole lot there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you're, I can't admit that this movie's not without its charms, but I don't know. It completely did not hold up for me. So needless to say, I won't be seeing Mary Poppins Returns next weekend. You mean the charms of the inimitable Emily Blunt is not going to draw you to the theater? Mm. Not the not the musical whimsy of the great Lin, Lin Manuel Miranda. No, sadly not. Doing his own terrible Cockney accent. <laughs> okay, so that's an interesting question. Did he feel any? Yeah. He, did he feel like he needed to do an intentionally bad Cockney accent? Oh, are you kidding? Of course he did. <laughs> This movie just like again, literally Disney has a Xerox right now, and they're like, let's plug and play here. So Dick Van Dyke did a, a charmingly bad a Cockney accent. We got to have another actor do it. I guess I mean, we've true. got we've got Lynn Manuel Miranda on retainer. Let's drag him in. <laughs> I mean, this one's even more farther off the pale because he's Puerto Rican for crying out loud. <laughs> John, as as Hamilton proved, you can cast actors of any stripe into. And that's probably not the right word, but any, any actor into any role, as long as it's a white role, or intended for a white man. <laughs> Exactly. They're trying to they're trying to replace white people, which I say good is a good thing. <laughs> I think we're due for a white genocide. Honestly, I welcome it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Capital bit of humor, wooden leg named Smith. 
or Jones, whatever it was. Father died laughing. Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. Oh, no nonsense. Nothing to be sorry about. Never seen him happier in his life. He left an opening for a new partner. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much indeed. recommend white genocide <laughs> I, I feel you agree i totally agree and it also ties yeah. into what we have to talk about for spotlight 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 it's time robbie it's time yes because this is our section wherein we uh spotlight something oh hey that's the title <laughs> <laughs> wherein we uh, recommend something uh to each other and hopefully the listeners at large exactly <laughs> and we both have recent releases we want to talk about Yes, you went to the theater. I did not. Um, <laughs> I wanted to see another movie about a caretaker in a in a in an upper class family that also takes place in a magical world. This time, <laughs> 1971 Mexico. Oh boy, what movie did you see, Chris? <laughs> I saw the latest from a great auteur, Alfonso Cuarón, Roma. Mm. Is he the guy who did that Harry Potter movie? Yes, yes he is. Um, very eclectic career on him. I think he first made his bones, and this wasn't his first movie, but um, he had a hit in America with uh, Y Tu Mama Tambien, mm-hmm. um, a kind of sp- a road trip movie, again, set in his native Mexico. Uh, from there, went to do a Harry Potter movie. <laughs> again, normal career transition. <laughs> Did this dark sci-fi action movie, Children of Men, of which you, you see some touches of in Roma, and then uh, won an Oscar with Gravity. So it's it's a, <laughs> well, again, no, another... Why, yeah, that's why I brought up the fact that you did a Harry Potter movie. You're like, this auteur filmmaker. Yeah, Gravity. <laughs> that's an auteur film right yeah. there. <laughs> I mean, it is to some extent. Well, okay, it is a weird career transition to go from this Hollywood product to a deeply personal film. Basically, this is the story in a year of a life of a uh, caretaker in an upper upper crust family in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe Roma is the district that they live in. And so um, we follow her travails and the travails of the family. Basically, she and the mother in the in this uh, in this upper class family are going through the same issue with the with the the men in their lives. Um, she uh, courts the courts the affections of a of a young man named Furman, mm-hmm. um, who impregnates her and then leaves. Oh, great! Yeah, <laughs> and um, unfortunately, the matriarch of the family is going through the same thing. This is this is. Um, she, the husband is a doctor. Um, that's how they make all their money. And essentially he has left off with the mistress, leaving them and their four children. Oh dear. Yeah. So it's, it, I, some critics have pointed out, it's basically a tribute to the women in our lives. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so when do they go into a chalk painting and they interact with animated characters? <laughs> uh, well, they don't literally dive into a chalk painting, but that happens at a New Year celebration at uh, the wife's, uh, hus- uh, excuse me, their, the family's uncle's house okay. um, out in the country. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's a it's a balls to the wall New Year celebration um, to basically forget that the father has left at this point, <laughs> okay. or they don't know where he is. <laughs> So the caretaker, Cleo, she's handling it much better than the matriarch of the family. Unfortunately, there's some implication that she um, turns to alcohol and a few other things to uh, basically relieve her problems. Whereas uh, Cleo has basically a stiff upper lip the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so like any other foreign movie, or excuse me, um, movie not in English, shot in black (laughs) and white, um, it's basically life is beating down on Cleo at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, She is is a native, um, so she does have, um, or she has... um, 
native heritage. Um, so that basically results in the um, station in her life. Um, I do like that in the movie, it's not just Spanish language, but also her native language that she speaks with another house, uh, another housekeeper mm-hmm. there. And so, um, and also very just, I found it fascinating in that um, obviously gravity, like this director is known for his long takes. And in this case, it is done pretty much the same way, but it done for a completely different use to do the re- uh, basically capture the realism uh, of their lives, mm-hmm. um, even though it is kind of brought up to this epic proportion here. Um, this is the kind of movie where in the very first scene we see Cleo go to the, the bathroom in real time. Um, so, <laughs> Oh, my favorite kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, so that lets you know what kind of movie you're in for. Um, however, I will say it's never it's never dull from there. Uh, basically, all the family that's going, all the drama that's going on with this family is seen through Cleo's eyes, so she only gets, like, brief glimpses of it. You have, kind of have to surmise it mm-hmm. in the way that the mother's behaving and, you know, the, just the, the random run-ins with the husband, say, at the hospital or maybe, like, out on the town and they see each other in passing. Um, the kids are kind of spoiled brats, which also doesn't help that now Cleo has to be a surrogate parent at this point, mm-hmm. not just the housekeeper. Um, one of my favorite scenes is which, and really shows you their dynamic, it's pretty early on in the movie. Um, they're all watching TV, like enjoying this comedy. And uh, Cleo actually, while she's collecting like dishes, sits down and one of the children like wraps her arm around her. And so it's a very sweet moment until the mother says, hey, Cleo, can you go get us some tea, please? <laughs> She she has to be reminded you, what her station is, what her job is. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Well, not reminded, but it just shows you, because I because I don't think uh, none of the characters are. Well, no, I mean two of the characters are deeply evil, but the the rest are treated with a a bit more nuance and um, kind of dealing with the problems in their own way. Uh, you know, and as I said, I I do like kind of, kind of the long takes. A lot of the a lot of the shots are literally just panning around a room. Mm-hmm. And so um, that that's really interesting, and also tracking shots down the street. I'm sure you've seen them in every trailer. Like we're we're dollying along as um, Roma, or, or excuse me, as a uh, Cleo and her other um, friend are kind of running down, meeting up with their respective boyfriends. Um, and that's really interesting. When later in the story, because it's also set against the backdrop of this huge student protest that took place in 1971. Mm-hmm. And so like when they're Walking along what was a busy, busy street earlier is now surrounded by uh, military personnel. So oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this just sounds like a good time I, at the movies. Yippee. <laughs> so, no, uh, well, uh, there is some reservation for fun. There is a scene, there is a New Year's celebration where it's at the matriarchs, uh, where it's at the, the wife's brother's place um, out in the country. He's pretty well off, too, and is, and is married and is married an American woman. Um, that, that, turns it turns into like a bacchanal and so there's there's some implication there as well um so i I really kind of admire it no it's you're like you said john it's not a great time in the movie it gets it gets very heavy very fast (laughs) (laughs) but it is one of the better films you'll see this year so and you know just shows the the skill and capability of this guy as a filmmaker and uh i think a story worth telling because again this is a tribute to uh the housekeeper he had growing up so again if it's yeah if it's a love letter to her like more power to him so okay all right I mean, yeah. I'm, I I do want to check it out. I just I I'm fully prepared to be, you know, in that anti-foreign film mood where it's like, oh, it's just to misery be... porn. <laughs> yeah, prepared to be devastated. Yes, you will be devastated. Okay. So, <laughs> well, I'm gonna prepare this week with a different spotlight, a much different spotlight. Okay. <laughs> I jaunted to the theater this weekend and I saw Spider-Man: colon, Into the Spider-Verse, aka Spider-Man: colon, Too Many Spider-Men. <laughs> 
Exactly. I saw. I, I'm steering clear of this one. What? I mean, six Spider-Man. Are you out of your mind, <laughs> Craig? Come on, you can never have too many Spider-Man. Uh, no, I, clearly you can. Or Spider-Woman. Right. There was a song about. That's the, that's so true. That's what. That's part of. Oh, okay. Just on the table. This movie is so good. <laughs> it is great. Um, oh, all right, all right. And um, again, that kind of goes back to the whole theme of the movie is the fact that really being Spider-Man, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, which. It's a it's a notion the movie kind of mocks a little bit with its triteness, but it's also again the kind of core theme of the story, which is, you know, the you know obviously no one chose to be spider well everyone chooses to be Spider Man you know these they're gifted with these powers so it's like what do you do with them, and the story okay. centers around um, a young kid from Brooklyn named Miles Morales, who um, through some plot contrivances ends up getting bitten by a radioactive spider, which I think is no <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What will um, they think of next in these movies? <laughs> <laughs> and um, turns out he gets Spider-Man powers, just like, you know, the famous Spider-Man that, you know, operates in his city. Uh, tragically, mm-hmm. Spider-Man dies. <laughs> okay. And Miles Morales is there to kind of witness it. And uh, he uh, tries to figure out how he can adapt these powers, how he can learn, and how he maybe can maybe take up that mantle. And what's kind of great about the movie is that he really does nothing heroic for basically two-thirds of the whole movie because he's so kind okay. of... He's young. He's green. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing, and he doesn't know how to adapt to these powers. Like, And the other thing, too, is a lot of points have been made about you know the Spider-Man powers kind of being a uh, metaphor for puberty. This movie makes that quite explicit. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> You mean more explicit than the than the white goo coming out of Tobey Maguire in the first? <laughs> there's movie? no there's no white goo, but you know he he wakes up and now he starts realizing he has these spider powers and he's like, is this puberty? No, I already hit puberty, and you know he embarrasses himself, you know, throughout the whole scene. But I think that it's it's the animation, the fact that this is animated, everything moves so f- like. F- like we've we've seen Spider-Man in live action swinging from building to building, and that's fine. But it's like it's mm-hmm. so much more dynamic the way they do it here, and it's just nice and refreshing seeing like yeah we've we've had 3D animated films for so long now. It's like, but this one they really zhuzhed up. This one they really took the comic book inspiration from it. There's half tones on everything, so it looks like it was printed. And when things are kind of in the foreground, instead of being blurred out, they're kind of like it's almost like the the printing plates have shifted. It's it's really uh, it's really interestingly well done. And okay, the movie... but it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's by um, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who did the uh, um, Lego Movie, and they well, kinda... not to be pedantic, produced by them. Yes, produced by them, Greg. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and actually, uh, Phil Lord is actually the only one who wrote on it. So um, oh, okay, yeah, uh, but you know, it, again, it. it the same thing with the Lego movie. It obviously has a very kind of meta quality to it. And even though it's a 3D animated movie, they try their best to kind of make it look like a comic book. It's very comic book inspired. A lot of great kind of use of typography on the screen and kind of like big splash panels and things like that. So, um, and the story's, you know, quite good. Uh, again, kind of like the Lego movie, maybe sometimes trying to be a little too clever by half. Like, you know, there's only so many kind of, like, self-aware wisecracks you can make before I start going, okay, if you're not going to take this seriously, why should I? <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed myself, and I thought it was a, it's a fantastic movie. I saw it has a top-flight cast. I mean, in addition to Jake Johnson and Nicolas Cage, Oscar-winning <laughs> Nicolas Cage voicing roles, there's also Haley Steinfeld, Oscar-nominated, uh, mm-hmm. John Mulaney, it's a top-flight comedian. And... <laughs> he plays uh, Peter Porker. 
who is yes. from a Looney Tunes-esque universe. <laughs> yeah, so how, how how do the spider people interact? Because I, I they've shown glimpses of the Peter Parker from another universe basically being a mentor to young Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. But the rest of them, how do, how do they implicate in the story? Do they all use their power somehow, or...? Well, so the 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 conceit of the plot is um, Miles gets he the, there's the kingpin, the main antagonist mm-hmm. of the story. He's invested in this uh, particle accelerator. We find out the personal reasons why about halfway through the story, but he's invested all his money into this particle accelerator. And again, he's not an egghead. He's not a scientist. He doesn't care about the dangers of you know trying to smash atoms and open up portals to parallel universes. He just wants it done. Um, so as a result, through some experimentation, all these different spider spider men, these spider people from different universes have found their way mm-hmm. into Miles Morales' New York City. Okay. And so uh, you've got, obviously, Peter Porker, who's like the Looney Tunes-inspired one. You have Nicolas Cage playing Spider-Man Noir. So he's like a black-and-white Spider-Man who... Uh, who you know talks like a talks like a 1930s detective, like a noir character. See, hot <laughs> skidoo, right, we gotta right. get out of here. Um, you've got Gwen Stacy, so you know, like everyone knows, Gwen Stacy in the comic books like died, and that inspired Peter to be a better hero. She's from an alternate universe where Peter actually died, and she took up the mantle of Spider-Man or Spider-Woman. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you also have, uh, is it Posey Parker? She's from. She's like the uh, daughter of Peter Parker, and he married a Asian, like a Japanese woman, in this storyline. So that that universe is like anime inspired. So she's she's like a character out of a manga comic or something like that. Okay. Yeah. But uh, again, how do how do their stories coalesce, or how do their powers coalesce? Like, uh, is that part of the story, or does Miles have to deal with it all on his own? That's what I'm wondering. Well, so the. I'm trying not to spoil too much. So mm-hmm. the thing about Jake Johnson uh, voices an alternate reality version of Peter Parker, and this version has been do- being Spider-Man for 20 years, and he's a bit down on his luck. <laughs> um, okay. He's divorced Mary Jane. He's kind of fallen into kind of a midlife crisis. And part of the reason why him and Mary Jane got divorced because they disagreed on kids. Peter, this Peter uh-huh. Parker doesn't want kids. And so mm. here he is in an alternate reality where he's forced to mentor a young Miles Morales. Hmm. Do you see where the story's going? <laughs> oh, I, I get it now. Okay, yeah. okay. But it's also, it, again, it's a lot of fun just kind of seeing, like, you know, the heroic character, Spider, the titular Spider-Man actually being, like, a sad sack and fat and pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a fun little twist to it. Um and the other, the major kind of running conceit or the kind of best joke they have of the movie is uh, when we first open, we get, you know, you've heard this story before and we get the brief rundown of Spider-Man's origin story. So then mm-hmm. when we introduce uh, the other, the alternate uh, universe, Peter Parker, the one voiced by Jake Johnson, we get the same thing, but obviously we get the tragic, you know, oh, I divorced Mary Jane, you know, I my life went to shit, blah, blah, blah. And then we introduce okay. Gwen Stacy, and again, it's the same conceit over and over again. And then when they introduce the final three, they do it all three at once, and it kind of becomes a cacophony, a mess. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, exactly. And then, of co- obviously, right. the, after the final conclusion, after Miles Morales has taken up the mantle of Spider-Man in his universe, he gets his own version of that as well. So it's all very nice. well done. It's very well done. And okay. also, uh, they did a nice little fun little touching tribute at the end to uh, Stan Lee and Steve Dicko, who both tragically passed away this year. And they're both all the right, co-creators right. of Spider-Man. Yeah, all right. Yeah, so I, a very okay. good movie. Highly recommended. All right, but why couldn't they give Miles Morales his own live-action movie? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> because I know they've been touting this. I, they really, they really do want to pass the torch to Miles Morales at this point. I know he's been. Oh, absolutely. He's been much bigger, a much bigger presence in the, in the comics than Peter Parker is. So. Mm-hmm. Well, it's transitioning because... him to the cooler neighborhood of Queens. You know, he's just cooler. <laughs> <laughs> we need to give Peter Park. We need to give Spider-Man an upgrade. <laughs> well, it's because, well, let's be honest. Like whenever they talk, whenever they have to introduce Miles Morales, they have to introduce the whole conceit that this is a parallel universe. Okay, this is different. Mm-hmm. We're not replacing Peter Parker, guys. Okay, not my Spider-Man. Know, my this... Spider-Man's white. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You're absolutely right, but again, I'm glad it was animated because obviously the style is very good. It's very hip hop inspired. Uh, this uh, Miles Morales in this story is a kind of graffiti artist, and that obviously inspires a lot of the visuals as well. So, okay. um, I mean, one of the interesting things about the movie is that once he does get his powers, like it actually becomes even more kind of comic book inspired. Up until this point, like that kind of conceit was used in the you know opening credits, but then once he gets like his spidey sense you see his kind of inner thoughts appear as thought bubbles on the screen (laughs) and he keeps wondering why are my thoughts so loud (laughs) nice yeah exactly so i mean i'm glad it was animated i thought they could take a lot more risks and again like if they did a live action movie would they be willing to go with the whole kind of parallel universe conceit i think that might have been a bridge too far who yeah. knows? All right, all right, all right. I mean, come on, we have to give Sony credit because they don't know what they're doing. So when they do hit a home run, we should congratulate them all the more. You're right. This You're is right. from the okay. studio that brought you the Emoji Movie. <laughs> Comes <laughs> Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. All right. So if you you do plan on going to theaters this holiday season, mm-hmm. it sounds like Mary Poppins Returns is your choice. Um, <laughs> But there is, of course, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, and if you just want to stay home and um, be emotionally devastated, then uh, yeah, please check out Roma. Um, yes, all good choices, all good choices. Gosh, this podcast yeah. is amazing. We are just indeed lousy with good recommendations for you, our listeners. And it's free, too. Can you believe that? I know. No Patreon, no support, like no ads. Nary an ad read. Yeah. They just don't know how good they have it. These bastards. These ungrateful bastards. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll tell you how they can express their gratitude. Oh. By visiting us on social media. Mm -hmm. We have a Facebook page. Click that like button. Uh, We have a Twitter page. Click that follow button. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, we got an email, like, hey, you know, you guys are completely wrong about Mary Poppins. Here's why it's the greatest movie of all time. I'm going to link to an hour and a half video essay. Please let us know what that video essay is, and we will point point by refute it point by point. Um, if you email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail dot com, yes. And once you're all done with that, why don't you hit head to your podcast service of choice, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever, and you mm-hmm. can hit that subscribe button, and you can give us a review, and that'll help more people find us. And we'll be yeah. able to build this aspiring snobs community. And we can talk yes, shit we'll... about Mary Poppins all day long together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think it'll help us to keep it free. Um, <laughs> actually, I think a listenership means we won't have to rely on, I don't know, some stupid mattress company being like, oh, they delivered it to my house and it exploded out of the box and it was woo and there was confetti. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. No. Right? <laughs> we're not going to do that. Toothbrushes? Maybe. We'll talk. But mattresses? No. <laughs> We're out of the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, Greg, I think we should also tease them about what we're watching next week, shall we? Oh, by the way, Christmas is next week, guys. Holy um, crap. We hope, you, we hope you got your holiday shopping done, because <laughs> uh, we sure haven't. <laughs> no, we have not. <laughs> and that said, we thought, um, even though we're running out of Christmas movies to look at, um, <laughs> we did find one that we haven't seen yet. Um, one of the original horror comedies. We're talking, of course, about 
them gremmins. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're continuing this whole trend of Greg finally catching up with 80, 80s movies he probably should have seen by now. Yeah, finally culminating in, well, it should have been Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's Christmas, so we're going to be watching this one, Gremlins. <laughs> exactly. One of the original purveyors of the PG-13. That's true. Yes. Well, I think, was it Gremlins? Yeah, you're right. Um, it was I'm that, to remember the well, history it, of it. I mean, it was, it, it was one of the movies that kind of was the catalyst for them making that rating, because it was yes. a little too dark for younger viewers. So Yeah, same with Temple of Doom, if while we're continuing the Indiana Jones connection, um, <laughs> and also Ghostbusters. <laughs> Gosh, it's like Steven Spielberg was everywhere in the 80s. Whatever happened to that guy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> His career nosedived after Always. <laughs> you never come back from that. Oh, yeah. Check out Always. <laughs> I thought you were going to make the color purple reference, but okay. <laughs> um, excuse me, 11 Oscar nominations? Wait, really? Zero wins? Yes, 11 Oscar nominations, but zero wins. Where is justice for the color purple? <sighs> it's that It's that Oprah curse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was she in a, when, uh, I think she, I think so. Was she um she wasn't in a main role. Uh, it starred Whoopi Goldberg, but yeah, she was in a minor role. You okay, know, she was yeah. starting early. <laughs> she was, these were yeah. still her Chicago days when she was mm-hmm. just a local TV personality, so. Yeah, doing Jerry sub Jerry Springer level <laughs> content. <laughs> and look at her now. And we'll mm-hmm. be there one day, Greg. Wait, yeah. <laughs> anything's possible in America. It starts with this podcast. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Next, we'll have our own magazine. Yes, but until then, thank you everybody for listening. <laughs> yes, before we take over the world, thank you everybody for listening. <laughs> and until next time, keep aspiring, Govna. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Step in time. Step in time. Step in time. Come on, mighty step in time. Get your knees up, get your knees up, step in front.